Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there, CFD people. We're back with another episode of Talking CFD. It's one of those episodes where I chat to an entrepreneur from our space and try and get a flavor of their business. Ideally, get them to give us some of their top tips without them even noticing. And today, I'm joined by fellow Brit, James Linfield, co-founder of UK CFD consultancy, Navier Flow Consultants. Welcome to the show, James. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. No problem. So as two Brits, this show should be 40 minutes of complaining about the weather or politics, but as they are both completely <laughs> bananas at the moment, I think we'll stick to the more sedate talking about CFD. What do you reckon? Definitely. So as I understand it, starting your own business is a relatively recent development compared to how long you've been doing CFD. So I'm quite interested to dig into what it's like to make that jump from staffer to boss, because I think there's probably one or two listeners out there who might be in that position. Yeah, Actually, one or two listeners might be the total number, but let's make sure they don't start a consultancy and compete with it. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> so can you tell me a bit more about Navier, the, the company, not the old dude who was good at maths, and then uh, we'll yes. dig into how it all came about, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, Navia is a, um, we're a UK based um, engineering analysis and simulation consultancy, um, specializing in the field of, of computational fluid dynamics or CFD. Um, we are about coming up for sort of two years old now. Um, the company was formed in 2017 uh, by myself and my colleague and, and business partner, Mark Roberts. Um, Basically, both Mark and I had spent uh, probably about 10 years working in larger consultancies um, within different industries. Um, and uh, it had always been a, a sort of a dream of ours to, to one day start our own business. Um, about two years ago, we, we finally sort of took the plunge. Um, we saw the opportunity to effectively provide sort of high-end analysis capability to sort of small to medium-sized enterprises, okay. um, which we thought was <laughs> a good foundation <laughs> to start a business on. Um, yeah, dead easy. Go yeah, exactly. Really simple. Just just do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, basically the the kind of the goal really of Navia was was to provide the sort of the level of analysis capability that you might find in a larger OEM to SMEs, basically, that have a sort of an intermittent requirement for that level of analysis. Um, but it's, you know, it doesn't warrant a full-time analysis department, basically. So were you and Mark both from a CFD background? You, what, it wasn't a structural and a, it was both doing CFD in... in... It was both doing CFD. Um, my background um, was uh, working within a larger sort of R&D uh, consultancy, um, chiefly kind of working in the in the aerospace sector. Um, Mark's background was uh, was oil and gas and, and renewables, um, but we were both applying, you know, applying our, our CFD skills to a to a range of problems. But it's interesting speaking, you know, I'm sure you've you found it, Robin, but speaking to people in uh, in different industries because although you're applying it to a different problem at some core level, the flow physics are the same. So whether you're tackling a multi-phase problem or whatever, the application's slightly different, but the flow physics is the same and some of the niggles are exactly the same. So actually having that kind of core competency 
in different types of, of flow physics. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time um, working on projects involved, you know, low speed, high speed aerodynamics, multi-phase flows, um, reacting flows with chemical kinetics, um, conjugate heat transfer, rotating flows, you know, all the usual suspects. All the easy stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really fun, simple stuff. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think I've probably got a patch of thinning hair um, <laughs> purely associated to a few of those. <laughs> I think I've only got a patch of hair, never mind a patch of hair. <laughs> so just to, just to get this straight, you mentioned an R&D consultancy. Was it, did it do other things rather than just safety? Was you kind of like a business unit? Yeah, absolutely correct. Um, so, so for me, it wasn't a pure CFD consultancy. Um, the company got involved in, in general R&D activities spanning from, uh, design and, and manufacture of, of test rigs and test stands, um, experimental fluid dynamics, uh, optical flow measurement techniques, software data acquisition, you know, the the kind of turnkey solution, I think, is, is the buzzword. Um, but I was, uh, it was interesting, actually, because I, I got to to support sort of internal design activities from a CFD perspective. So de-risking designs and, you know, making suggestions and so on. But it was a combination of that and actually then also providing sort of CFD services to external clients on a, on a kind of consultancy basis. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a mix, but yeah, it was kind of a, an arm of the business, if you like. So you had kind of a client-facing aspect. It wasn't just that you were providing a, a resource to an internal team. Yeah, exactly. Do the client-facing side of it, um, which is, is good, you know, obviously very good experience. And actually, that's in all honesty, that's probably the aspect that I really enjoy <laughs> you know it's, it's fun tackling people's problems and, and trying to help people so was it one of those scenarios where after sort of 10 years of doing it for somebody else you thought hang on a minute i'm going to do this for me <laughs> or was it more complicated than that i uh, yeah so i think it's a little bit little bit it's perhaps yeah a little bit more, more nuanced yes a little bit nuanced yeah 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 so a lot of the time um I was working with um, some some big OEMs, um, you know, some some large clients, um, some smaller clients, and so on. And obviously, seeing the benefits that um, you know pragmatic, well applied CFD can give, um, and actually, also, I think the the sort of supporting some of the internal design resource, you you get a real good sense of sometimes what you want to do and present as a CFD engineer is not necessarily what a design engineer is looking for or is, you know, is interested in. So it's always good to get that reality check of, right, this is, you know, really this is the salient information that they care about. They don't care that you've used a preconditioned biconjugate matrix solver. They don't care. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think um, I think that was, uh, yeah, an important, uh, important lesson to learn. Um, But but yeah, sorry, coming coming back to the to the uh, to the question, um, we really felt that this sort of capability um, could be of real, real benefit to, yeah, to, to kind of small to medium sized enterprises. So we wanted to form Navia to really 
focus on on delivering that benefit to those clients. I mean, you mentioned problem solving and that being one of the fun bits. And I think that is kind of a, a lot of what we do day to day. But I, I just wondered if there's a chance to kind of draw a distinction between the kind of problem solving that goes on at sort of design stage and then the kind of problem that goes on at panic, this isn't working stage. Um, do, you, do you find yourselves drawn to one or other end of that spectrum? Ooh, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, obviously, I would say the ideal situation is to do the analysis up front and de-risk the product. <laughs> but uh, obviously, things happen and, um, you know, we do get involved with actually trying to um, fault find and figure out why an existing sort of product or system isn't working. Um, so that can be that can be quite fun, actually. Um, bit stressful, but but uh, but quite fun. Um, we did have one. So yeah, I'll share this story with you. We did have one. Uh, I remember one meeting with a a potential client. Um, it was actually in the pharmaceutical sector, um, but uh, they effectively had a product that they had. They had designed, manufactured, and had sort of got to the, if you like, commissioning and sign-off stage of it. Um, it heavily involved fluid mechanics, um, but they hadn't obviously engaged anyone with fluid <laughs> mechanics expertise during the design phase. Um, uh-huh. I can see where this is going. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we um, I remember sitting down with a few of the design engineers and, you know, I, one of the questions I always ask is, has has anyone done any cfd on this before um and they all looked a little bit sheepish and looked at each other and sort of one kind of he sort of admitted that yes he he had basically had a bit of a go with you know sort of a cad embedded cfd tool but you know confessed that he basically had no idea what he was doing um and you know the results didn't look believable so they sort of just discounted it and, and moved on um so i was like yeah okay you know fair enough it's it's good that at least you sort of recognize that that's probably not a fair representation of what cfd can do for you um but in this instance um you know uh, i literally t- sort of took a look at their at their design and um basically said look you know i i could cost up doing some cfd for you and this and that you know these are the benefits but i can literally look at your design and tell you why it's not working (laughs) just from a fundamental use your psychic powers did you close your eyes and wave your hands over it a little bit yeah mystic mystic ball no yeah this was and this is not even me saying oh great you know look we're wonderful it was literally there was such a fundamental fluid mechanics issue that it was not even worth doing the CFD yet. It was, look, you can straight away, here are some quick wins. Don't do this. Definitely do this. You know, a few really obvious things. Well, I say they're obvious to someone from a fluids background. Um, and uh, they were like, okay, yeah, no, that's great. That's, you know, really good. We'll we'll try that. Um, and, <laughs> and basically those modifications fixed their problem and we never got any work from them. But I'd like, to, I, I like to think that the moral of the story is actually, hopefully by kind of being, you know, open and transparent and saying, look, this is how we think, you know, you can improve things. I like to think that in that situation, if they do have a problem in the future or they do have a concept they're not sure of, I'd like to think that they would come back to us because they know that effectively we're going to be honest with them. And if there are any kind of 
easy spots or low hanging fruit, if you like, that we can just say, yeah, this is, you know, this is, this is the way to go with it. Um, we're not, we, well, we, we try to tackle problems from a kind of a, a fundamental sort of fluid mechanics approach. We don't always jump into let's do lots of CFD just because we can, um, which I think is, uh, well, it's certainly, I, I think it's a, it's um, something that, you know, some some uh, CFD practitioners have a, a bad reputation for. It's a kind of tunnel tunnel vision. <laughs> yeah, Maslow's hammer. You've got your CFD yeah. hammer and you want to hit everything with it. Yeah, it's exactly that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you had, you had some exposure to, to the not so interesting bits of running your own consultancy, the perhaps writing proposals and doing the accounting and things like that. Um, or, or, you know, managing a PL and, and what have you in your previous life. Um, yes. Has anything sort of surprised you having gone out on your own, either on the upside or on the downside? I think obviously having, having, yeah, as you say, having worked in a consultancy, you kind of get that, that experience, the client facing side of it, the proposals, the tendering, obviously the technical work as well. You know, that's, I felt very kind of confident if you like in, in that area um, because I've been doing it for so long. Um, but I think the, the areas of, of starting your own business that are, are difficult. And I think sometimes they're the areas that people don't really publicize or talk about. Um, I think uh, kind of in a, in an era of, you know, tech startups and silicon valley and all of this it's all kind of a lot of it i think is is definitely um you know glorified and you tend to only really hear about the the upsides of, of starting a business um it always appears to just run smoothly and, and, and everything works perfectly um whereas i think the reality is that it's um you know it is it is a bit of a roller coaster uh, you know the highs are really high and i'd say the lows are, are quite low at times um I think something that we perhaps underestimated a little bit is is how much um, effort and work goes into you know the sales kind of side of things, the business development, um, you know, networking. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Um, and I think even with an existing network to kind of call on and you know try to build on, it's still really really difficult, um, and it takes a lot of work. Um, and obviously, I think as engineers, we, we tend to sometimes want to get stuck into the technical stuff. And that's the fun bit. That's the bit that, you know, you can be doing at midnight or whatever, and you don't really mind because it's what you enjoy. Yeah. Um, but I think as engineers, the the networking, the sales side of it is uh, probably doesn't come naturally i would say i think it's it's something that you know we've we've built on and learned and tried to get better at um but yeah it's 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 certainly not easy um do you think you and mark could have done this off the back of a degree or a phd or something like that who knows you could you could have yeah i, I think um i think it's an interesting question and i i'll try not to sound uh too negative about it but i think i think it's i think it's so so important to to have some relevant industrial experience um a to kind of credentialize yourself to potential clients um and b 
to actually have a network of people who have worked with you, who know that you're good, who do you, do you know what I mean? I think I think that's invaluable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just you just simply don't have that coming straight out of university. Um, so my I guess my humble advice would be you know get out there do do some consultancy roles get you know a a see if you even enjoy doing consultancy because that's the other thing you know <laughs> it's it's who, who wouldn't who wouldn't who wouldn't enjoy the uh the the roller coaster of work coming in and disappearing and uh all that sort of thing yeah the advice of perhaps being able to go and learn on someone else's dime is uh is a good one yeah it's probably less stressful when you've got a guaranteed paycheck every month <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So as somebody who's just started a uh, simulation business uh, in the last couple of years, you are all in on the cloud, yeah? I knew, I knew that you were going to go this way, Robin. Um, <laughs> so this is controversial. This is very controversial. So um, Why? Because you are all in on the cloud? Well, absolutely. No. <laughs> no. Basically. You've turned it off. Yeah, we've switched it off at the plug. What? I'm going to say something controversial. Uh I think that sometimes the cloud can hinder innovation. Sorry, James, I can't. I can't hear you. Must be, <laughs> Must be a problem. Yeah, this is going to be all your listeners banging their fist on the table and shouting. No, I think you're in the. I think you're in the majority there. I think that most people aren't anywhere near being all in with the cloud. But uh, it'd be good to unpack it a little bit. So you you guys have kind of invested fairly heavily in in house compute, have you? We have correct, yeah. So it was a bit of a, an executive decision early on to, yeah, yeah, to, to invest heavily in, in internal resource. Was that your comfy place, though? Is that something you've done before, or was that new? So that was new. So I have um, used AWS and stuff quite a lot. So kind of the the Linux side, you know, obviously being an open frame user and whatever, you know, the Linux side of it and stuff didn't really worry me too much. But actually building a cluster from scratch. Um, is much more complicated than you may think if you've never done it before. <laughs> um, but I guess it's not something you regret then. No, no, definitely not. Um, it, it was a steep learning curve. There were lots of uh, late nights and lots of coffee drunk. But I think that it's something, it's a resource that now we can sort of really reap the benefits of. And kind of lo- sort of looping back round to kind of the motivation we we wanted that internal resource so that we could develop internal sort of processes and methods to tackle really complex flow physics um the type of stuff that it would be prohibitive to tackle with your 18 or 36 core workstation or whatever um and also the type of flow physics where you don't want to spool up a few hundred cores in the cloud, set your simulation going and come back the next day to find it's just collapsed in a big heap. Um, and you've got a nice invoice waiting for you. That never happens. <laughs> never. Absolutely never happens. Um, so, yeah, so that that was certainly part of the motivation. Um, I should say that um, one of our early projects was doing um, – quite a large um sort of aero optimization study um and we were running on sort of 80 to 100 million element cell meshes that when you start thinking oh we might want to do 50 60 70 different types of runs um Cha-ching. yeah exactly yeah exactly we, we, we ran the numbers and we were like oh hang on a sec we're going to be handing over a lot of money to a cloud provider for this um so we thought actually let's bite the bullet let's you know invest internally um, and have that as a resource so we now have 
can have our own <laughs> uh, 320 core compute cluster that uh, we've built with blood, sweat and tears. When it's time to make that 500 cores, is that something that you would do or would you then go to the cloud? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, we deliberately sort of scope the architecture of the cluster and stuff such that we can actually, it is very scalable um, and it's scalable in, let's say, manageable financial chunks. Um, obviously, okay. the plan is to not to have 3,000 cores. You know, <laughs> that's that's not that's yeah. where we're going with it. Um, I think... Ideally, the sort of circa 500 cores one day would be would be a good spot to have. Um, but I think um, in the interim, um, we would certainly be open to using cloud resource just to help manage some of the peaks um, if we did find that our internal resource was was saturated. Yeah, because I mean, although although I'm a huge proponent of of cloud, it may it's it's mainly because it makes sense for me. My compute requirement is spiky sometimes it's load sometimes it's nothing i I don't have a kind of base load that could take advantage of of having a a reasonable sized compute resource to myself if it sounds like you do have a bit of that that base load where you're kind of developing methods and you've got something that you could leave running for a, a chunk of time and see a see a benefit from are you are we talking about developing solvers or are we talking about developing around tools and methods and things yeah it's exactly it's it's the latter so it's um we're not doing any so so we're heavy heavy open foam users um we don't um do any kind of source code or solver development it's usually combining the existing capabilities if you like and developing the the workflow so that it's robust so that we can actually deliver consultancy jobs you know in a timely manner um a lot of the time it's about building bash scripts and stuff that sit around it. Yeah, the automation. Exactly. So automating the dictionary generation and so on and making the workflow a bit more kind of optimized, having, you know, having Python scripts to drive Paraview in the background and that kind of stuff. The stuff that I think you need to make open source codes more viable in a consultancy environment. And that takes an, an investment, a time investment, if you like. Um, obviously, you know, I've been, um, it's been developed over time, basically, you know, it's, it's building all the time. Um, and, and the other thing that we try to do as well is, is, is to sort of use it as a, as a resource and kind of constantly improve is, is to run, you know, validation and verification studies on different types of flow physics. I mean, the amount of, uh, you know, common research models and stuff that are out there from from research institutes is is crazy. Um, and there's a lot of really good, rich um, experimental data. So we're always, you know, we're always trying to benchmark our methods and our, our processes, basically. So you mentioned open foam a few times and obviously open source for, for this kind of business model makes a lot of sense. But I mean, when I speak to consultants, they tend to be either, uh, well, in fact, CFD shops in general, they, they tend to be either in one of two camps. They're either code agnostic, they'll use whatever they can find that will get the job done in the best way. If that's, if that's a star seat and uh, that's got the tools that they need to for that job or whether it's open foam or whatever but the other camp is we don't we we only use open source tools do you are you on that spectrum do you fall at either end or 
I, I would say that we don't fall at either end. I mean, I am a big open phone fan and we do use it very, very heavily. But I would say that Navia is is code agnostic, really. Um, both Mark and myself have obviously had a lot of experience in the past with with commercial codes, you know, your Fluence, Star, CCM, etc. Um, and we very much try to use the right tool for the job. Um, obviously, there are benefits in being able to take advantage of the open source codes, especially, you know, with a 320 core compute cluster, um, you don't want to be shelling out for... No, that's a few HPC packs, isn't it? Okay, exactly. So there's a little bit of a... Uh, I guess that perhaps a bias to to want to use open foam, but we accept that there are some areas where it's it's not strong enough, and we will just go with with you know the the tried and tested commercial codes. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I suppose that varies between industries, perhaps, and applications. Have you got a kind of sector that you home in on, or are you fairly broadly focused? Yeah, so I'd say we're we're fairly broadly focused. Um, is that that sounds like a, actually that's probably not a very good that's like broadly focused. Can you be broadly focused? I don't know. <laughs> that's yeah, no, that's yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. We, I, we, we well, ignore that. I'll take that out in the edit. Don't worry. I so I, I would say I would say that we're focused on. I like to think of it more as the types of problems. So the aerodynamics, the multi-phase flows, you know, the reacting flows. What we apply those to, um, you know, bridges aerospace power generation um you know civil kind of built environment type stuff uh water treatment industry um uh, recently we've been doing a bit of work in the marine sector as well um that's been quite interesting because that's actually effectively applying a lot of the the processes and techniques that we developed for um the civil sector so doing uh, you know wind comfort studies for pedestrians around buildings and so on um we're now applying that to to um cruise liners for open deck studies for for comfort um you know ensuring that these uh weird and wonderful superstructures that they build don't induce a gust of wind that's going to blow someone overboard <laughs> so that's- which one of you gets to go for two weeks and make sure that it's working i have to, i have dropped that hint with our client a few times it would be very nice to go and uh, <laughs> For some validation. Exactly, yeah. Me with my pito tube walking around. <laughs> and a cocktail. So I was speaking to uh, another consultant as, as part of this series, and he was suggesting that they are seeing a trend towards customers being able to do a lot more themselves. And what's left behind for consultants is the the trickier stuff. The, the low-hanging fruit's gone. And we're left with the tricky physics, the 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 harder to deliver projects. Is that a trend that you're? Is that something you're seeing, or is CFD within small business or the smaller engineering companies? Perhaps is it not at that level yet? So I yeah. So that's interesting. I think I think with the continuous development of uh, you know uh, sort of well, I don't want to be too derogatory black box CFD tools, shall we say, you know, the, the sort no, of, it's not, it's not a pejorative, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, they are getting easier and easier to use and they're being marketed as, you know, you don't have to have any kind of CFD experience. You can just click a few buttons and away you go. I think those types of products probably are filling up, um, 
some of the space where it's more of the sort of run of the mill analysis that's not necessarily particularly complex um now whether they get the most from them let's not go there that's probably a completely not a different podcast <laughs> um, but um yeah i think you're right i think um where people were probably more inclined to reach out to consultants is when they've got a really sort of unfamiliar complex problem um that they're you know that's that's well out of their their comfort zone basically um and actually that's kind of where i think we add a lot of value because we've seen a lot of weird and wonderful problems in lots of industries um many of them sort of um fairly kind of cutting edge technology companies um so you see you see a lot of opportunity to to transfer technologies and approaches um to, to solve problems and you know come up with kind of innovative solutions um and obviously having for us having having the, the cluster as a resource um not a lot of stuff scares us really um famous last words <laughs> oh no that's a that's a nice place to be so i mean it sort of brings you around to that kind of domain expertise that we were talking about earlier so i mean on the one hand you've got that argument of having a, a niche focus and being just oil and gas for example um but then you've got on the other side you've got like you've just mentioned the fact that you've seen things in other industries and in other domains which may be innovative and novel in a in a in a new industry um something that might not be um super trick to you but to them is a revelation and, and being able to sort of facilitate that that crossover is uh, is a kind of a interesting place to be yeah yeah definitely i mean i think um i think if you're deeply entrenched in a certain industry and you've seen the you know do you mean you've been looking at the same problems and you're a bit too close to it i think sometimes it can be easy to be a little bit blinkered with what's happening in in other sectors um and there's definitely definitely opportunity for for te technology transfer and you know cross-pollination of ideas yeah absolutely i've been pretty surprised at the willingness of kind of small business owners and consultants to sort of share their experiences around this and i find it particularly interesting if if somebody wants to get in touch with you or or mark or you guys and, and about anything that they've heard or just because you're one of the good guys um, what's the best <laughs> way for them to uh, to do that yeah so i would say linkedin um you know i'm always up for connecting with like-minded people so yeah just 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 connect with me drop me a message i'm yeah happy to have a chat answer questions um obviously you can also find our website fairly easily and just drop us an email um yeah i guess we're we're always always keen to to connect and, and network with people yeah and as we touched on earlier it's kind of the uh, the network is king it is absolutely king yes definitely definitely <laughs> cool well i want to thank you for taking your time come on the show james and give us a bit of a uh, insight into into what you've been up to and, and, and how you do it i uh, really appreciate that no guests no podcast no absolutely i I'm, yeah it's been a real pleasure being a guest and uh, keep up the good work i've really enjoyed listening to all the previous episodes no worries hope you enjoyed listening to this one <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to hear my own voice so i probably no, won't nobody does <laughs> cool